Thanks for that, Paul. Let's turn to the passage that Paul just read. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 16. We're continuing this morning our series, Vanity Fair, and we're, we're looking verse by verse at this fascinating book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. And, you know, last week's passage, I'll just say this, it was, it was kind of an, an oasis in the desert of Ecclesiastes. There's all kinds of positive things that we saw in last week's passage. Solomon gave us this great poetic section about time. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. He talks about eternity in our hearts. He talks about how God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he tells us to enjoy time. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. I mean, it was like an oasis. Well, in today's passage, Solomon's back in the desert, He's back in the hard, nitty-gritty aspects of life. He's going into the, the dark realities of our Genesis 3 world. And as Solomon describes it here in chapters 3 and 4, what he's saying is that our world is fatally flawed. And, and here's the thing, I mean... There's some darkness here, but if you're attentive to God's word, there's some practical principles for you this morning to glean. And we can actually derive some really helpful principles for how to survive and how to thrive in this fatally flawed Genesis 3 world. So let's get right into it. I'm going to give you this morning six pieces of advice for how to survive and how to thrive in this fatally flawed Genesis 3 world. Okay, listen up, because, yeah, you're going to die, but you might have some days before that, and then you want to make the most of those days that you have before you die. So, six pieces of advice, write them down. Here's the first. Number one, don't expect judgment to be instantaneous in our world. Don't expect judgment to be instantaneous In our world, Solomon says in verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Anybody seen that in our world? Wickedness where there should be righteousness. You know, we watched last night, the Caffies, we watched uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. And we, you know, it's a great movie, by the way. You should watch it. And Edmund Dantes wrote... On his cell, he was wrongfully imprisoned for 13 years. He says, God will give me justice. And he wrote that every year, every year, on his prison walls. And then he forgot about it. Got to a place where he didn't even believe God existed anymore. In the place of justice, sometimes there's wickedness. We see that in our own day. We have abortions in places where there should be cries of children coming into our world. We have starvation in countries where plenty of food is grown. We have despots in our world, like Kim Jong-un, who spend billions on defense and military while their country is economically impoverished and his people starve. Even in our own country, we have Christians who get fired for not bowing to the agenda of the LGBT community. We have individuals who get canceled for actually believing that a girl is a girl and a boy is a boy. And, and people that say boys should not play sports with girls. 
you know, what an antiquated notion. We all believed that five years ago, now we don't. And, and we see in our world wickedness in the place of justice. Solomon knows it, you know it, I know it. I wish it wasn't that way. I really do. I wish it wasn't that way. But we're dealing with realities here. And Adam and Eve, they sinned in the Garden of Eden. And so this is what we're dealing with. And you might think in light of that and uh, the evil that happens in our world, why doesn't God put an end to it right now? You know, anybody else wonder that? So why doesn't God deal with it? Why doesn't he just rain down his justice right now like the rain that's falling on this building? Anybody want that sometimes? Okay, okay, well, careful now because what if God decides, okay, I'm gonna rain down my judgment and I'm gonna start with you? What do y'all think about that? Then we're like, no, 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 Lord, can you start? We want justice on them over there, not us. We want, you know, what does the Bible say about our Lord? He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, right? We want that for us. We just don't want that for other people. I've given this analogy before. You know, sometimes you get cut off in traffic. Or sometimes people give you, you know, the, the one-fingered salute while you're driving. Anybody ever had that happen before? Someone did that to me the other day on, on Baltimore. It's, what? Hey, what did I do? I, I, I'm Pastor Tony. You can't do that to me. <laughs> and what do we want in that moment? We want an asteroid to come down from heaven and obliterate that car. I might have called for that in the midst of that experience. And we want, what do we want for other people who wrong us? We want instantaneous retribution, right? But for us, Lord, please be abounding in loving kindness. So for the sake of your sanity, Solomon says here, don't be surprised when God stays his hand or delays his judgment. Be thankful for that. In fact, here's another thing to be thankful for. Look at verse 16. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. In other words, God's judgment is eschatological. It will happen. Nobody gets away with evil. Nobody gets away with evil. God is slow to anger, but he's not devoid of anger. And God will judge the righteous in the wicked in, in his perfect time. And don't forget how the, the book ends here in Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will judge the deeds of men, whether good and evil, every secret thought. God will bring judgment upon us in his perfect time. And here's the thing. If you're frustrated with evil in this world, anybody frustrated with the evil in this world, the injustice? Well, Solomon says, don't worry about it too much because you'll be dead soon. <laughs> is that a comfort to you? Write this down as number two in your notes. Here's the second piece of advice for you. Don't forget that you are terminal. I was talking to somebody not that long ago, and she was telling me about a family member who had some, some terminal disease. I, I can't remember what it was, cancer or something like that. And, and she was trying to counsel this other person and, and encourage him. Well, you know, just so you know, we're all terminal. <laughs> you know, I might not have terminal cancer, but we're all terminal. We all have a clock that's ticking. God knows the number of our days, and, and, and we're all going to die. 
eventually, unless the Lord comes back first. And that's the inevitable consequence of living in a Genesis 3 world. We sin, and the consequence of sin is death. Solomon says in verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. That hurt your feelings? Solomon talking about us like that? Me? Verse 19, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. Last week I told you about my cats, and I, and I could taunt my cats. You're just a beast. You know, you don't live forever like me. Well, my cats could taunt me right back. They could cite this verse. Oh, yeah, king of the beasts, you're going with me. We're both going into the dirt. Now, my cats would never do that because they love me. <laughs> but they could do that. They could say, they could quote this, because we are... We are mammals like that. We're, yeah, we're king of the beasts, but we're beasts. We're mammals like they're mammals. Solomon says, for what happens to the children of man is what happens to the beasts. It's the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. Verse 20, into the ground, into the grave. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. I told you last week that you know, we buried my dog Bobo in Austin, Texas. We put him in a hill, on a hill. We buried him. And, you know, guess what? When I die someday, they'll, they'll put me in the ground too. They'll bury me in a grave, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This body will go right into the grave after I, it expires because God, remember, God formed man from the ground. The word Adam means dirt, means ground. God took ground and he, he made Adam, he made man, and we, we go back to the dust from whence we came. In his poem, A Psalm of Life, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, he wrote this. You can read this on the screen. He gets this. He said, art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. Whew. Our hearts are beating funeral marches to the... Isn't that a cheery notion? Your heart beating. It's like a funeral march to the... Dum, 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 dum. Going to the grave. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Remember that old song we used to sing as kids? You know, ashes to ashes, we all fall down. You know, ring around the rose. What a weird song to sing as kids. We're all going to die. We're all made from ashes. You know, last week, I, not last week, but last year, Sonny and I had our 20th anniversary. And so, you know, that's a lot of years. And, you know, we celebrated together. And, and so I told Sonny, you know, 20 years married. I mean, that's pretty good. I, I want to do something special for our 20th anniversary. I said, let's, let's go out and let's shop for grave plots together. We've, we've lived our lives together. Let's, let's die and be buried together and wait for Christ to return. I thought that was romantic. I mean, what's more romantic than that? You know, we're in the grave together, we're waiting for Jesus' return. Our bodies will be resurrected together side by side. She thought that was macabre. I thought it was romantic. I read this last week about a group of Trappist monks who dig their graves together, these monks, and, and every day they go out to their gravesite 
and they ponder their own mortality every day. And you might say, that's pretty morbid. No, I think that's healthy. We could use a little bit of that. We think we're going to live forever. Every day they go and they ponder their own mortality. And when one of their number dies, they lower this monk into the grave and they cover him with dirt. And then they dig a new grave together and, and start the ritual all over again, never knowing for certain who, who will be the next person going into the grave, who will be the next month. That's not just, I mean, I, mean, I think that's healthy. But it's also practical. You know, I'm going here someday. That's, I think that's wise to, to think about that and to prepare for that. Solomon says in verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. Now Solomon's being a little playful here because he knows and we know. Who knows? We know. We know what happens after we die. And Solomon has already alluded to this. There's eternity in our hearts. He says there will be judgment in the afterlife. He knows that there's there's an afterlife for humans that we are like the beasts, but we're not like the beasts. We have eternity in our hearts. We will live forever someday, somewhere. The question is, will we be in the presence of the Lord forever or will we be separated from the Lord forever? Because after death, our spirit goes into the presence of the Lord, those of you who have Christ, and our bodies await Christ's resurrection Christ's return and our resurrection. We are like the beast, but we are not like the beast. Verse 22, so I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot, carpe diem, because we're going to die soon. Who can bring him to see what will happen after him? In other words, enjoy life, you know? We're, pretty soon we'll be six feet under, you know? I won't give you another analogy about me going to play basketball and enjoying it while well as I can. You know, you fill in the blanks with what, what you enjoy doing because you don't have much time left. Enjoy it and make the most of it because death is inevitable and you won't escape it. Woody Allen said this once. You can read this on the screen. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) The great reformer Martin Luther said this. He said, you cannot live any longer than the Lord has prescribed, nor die any sooner. Isn't that good? The Lord knows the number of your days. Take that, COVID-19. Take that, heart disease. That quote there by Luther is reminiscent of the, the quote by Lottie Moon, the, the Baptist missionary. I know you guys, I've used this before. I know you guys love this because you, you quote it back to me all the time. Lottie Moon said, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. I'm going to live as long as God wants me to, and then God knows the number of my days he's going to take me home. Take that, heart disease. Take that, coronavirus. Take that, cancer. Write this down as number three in your notes. Here's a third piece of advice. Also, don't be shocked in this world when oppression is rampant. Let me add suffering to that equation. Don't be shocked when oppression and suffering are rampant in this world. This is not a a fun topic to talk about, but it's a reality we've got to cope with. Solomon says in chapter 4, verse 1, again, I saw, he's looking at the world under the sun. He's seeing these things. I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun. 
And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Translation, there are Paul Potts in this world. There are Hitlers in this world. There are Mussolinis and Stalins and Maos in this world, in this Genesis 3 world. And I get really frustrated, you know, when I, these cultural commentators and these atheists talk about how much, how much evil Christianity has brought into this world. Do, ne, do they know what the world is like without Christianity? That is not a better thing. Be careful what you wish for. When you get rid of Christianity, you get something worse. And I'm not saying that to absolve what Christians have done in the name of Christianity over the centuries. There's been bad behavior, no doubt. We just need to reckon with the fact that we live in a world where oppressors oppress. And the really sad thing about it is when the oppressed become the oppressors, inevitably the oppressed oppress the new oppressed. Right? It's like this cycle of violence. Oppressors become, the, op- the oppressed become the oppressors and then they start to oppress those who are oppressed. I mean, that's the fatal flaw of Marxism. It's, it's self-cannibalizing. That's the flaw of what we would call in our day intersectionality. You know, you're on the right side of history for like five minutes, and then you're on the wrong side of history, and everybody eats you. That's the world that we live in. You know, think about history. Think about the Bolsheviks, right? They didn't like the oppression of the Russian monarchy. So the Bolsheviks took over. You know what happened? They were more oppressive than the Russian monarchy ever was. You know, they guillotined the king of France. Y'all know this from history, right? They guillotined the king of France, and then eventually the guillotiners get guillotined by other people. And you just eat and eat one another. You, You cannibalize. This is not new. Solomon saw it in his day. And here's the most depressing line probably in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Look at verse two. This is a, this is a, Sad man. He says, and I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Whew. I'm better off dead, says Solomon. Life's too painful. Tragedy is too emotionally taxing for me. And then, I mean, then Solomon makes an even more outlandish statement than that. Look at verse 3. Better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Wow, that's depressing. You're not just better off dead, you're better off never being born. Now be careful with these statements because these are examples of what we would call in Hebrew laments. This is Hebrew lamenting. And oftentimes when the Hebrews lament, they, they hyperbolize. I, I don't think Solomon really believes this. Maybe, maybe he feels that viscerally in the moment. Maybe you felt like that at times. But this is not counsel for us, okay? So this is not counsel for you to take your life because you're better off dead. This is a man who's reckoning with the deep darkness of our world and, and wondering out loud. And by the way, other Hebrews in the Old Testament did this. People like Job did this. Be better off if, if I wasn't even born. People like Jonah did this. Elijah did this. Even the, the prophet Jeremiah did something like this. And you know when there are sections in the Old Testament when God hears these people lament like this and he says, stop it. 
Stop talking like that. So this is not counsel for us. This is just a man in a lot of pain dealing with the Genesis 3 world. And, it, and if you've really looked out on our world, and if you've really studied history, you probably have uttered this at one time in your life, maybe under your breath. Looking out on this Genesis 3 world that's full of death and full of killing and full of terror and full of oppression. 75 million people died in World War II. 75 million people. It wasn't that long ago. And you know, what's ironic about that is at the turn of the 20th century, I've told you all this already, there were a lot of people, philosophers, even theologians who said, you know, humanity is getting better. We're a more peaceful people. We're, we're a tranquil people. And then they had World War I. 40 million people died. And then they said, well, I mean, that was the war to end all wars. Then we had World War II, and 75 million people died. And I, I don't hear people say that in our day, but if they do, I just want to remind them that this is a Genesis 3 world, and we need, we need paradise restored by Jesus Christ returning, right? So here's a piece of advice for you Christians just, just practically here, until Christ comes back, let me encourage you, pursue love and peace in this world. Don't be a warmonger, okay? Pursue, Jesus said to live at peace with all men as far as it, it, it depends on you, you know? Pursue love and pursue peace in this world. Fight against injustice in this world as best you can. Pursue justice. Elect just leaders when you have the opportunity. But don't be shocked, don't be mortified when oppression and when suffering run rampant in our world because it's a Genesis 3 world and paradise, paradise has been lost. You know, you can summarize the entirety of human history in th into three periods. Do y'all know that? All of human history in three periods. You have paradise, Genesis 1 and 2. You have paradise lost, Genesis 3, you know, and counting, up until our day, and then you have paradise regained, Revelation 20 through 22. That's, that's all of human history right there. Paradise, paradise lost, paradise regained. Where are we right now? Where, where are we in that? <laughs> We're in paradise lost. And we've got to deal with this fatally flawed world, and that's why we cry, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Let's keep going. Write this down as number four in your, night, your notes. Solomon's going to get even more practical with you now and how to thrive in paradise lost. Number four, don't obsess about money. Don't obsess about money. Solomon says in chapter four, verse four, then I saw all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. That's a really sad statement right there. So much of our world is built on avarice and greed and envy of one another. You know, people keeping up with the Joneses, you know, that's I think we know instinctually that that's a big part of our life, this, this competitive desire to do better than some other person. 
And Solomon says that that whole idea, that whole concept is ridiculous because you're just striving after the wind. Because what do you accomplish after all of these jealous pursuits? I mean, you die with empty pockets, just like the other guy. You can't take it to the grave with you. So you might say, well, forget that. Forget that whole competitive workaholism. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to sit around and collect a government paycheck. That's the solution. I'm going to sit around and play video games till Jesus comes back. Solomon calls that person a fool. Look at verse 5. The fool, on the other hand, so you got the workaholic and then you got the fool. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Yuck. What does that mean? This is a Hebraism for starvation. Brought about by laziness. You're so lazy that you have to eat your own flesh. And you might say, good grief, Saul. I mean, what do you want from me? You don't want me to work too hard, and then you don't want me to be lazy. What do you want? Well, there's, there's a middle road between those. And that's what he's getting at. He's saying to work hard, but not too hard. He's saying enjoy life, but don't enjoy it too much to the point of slothfulness. And, and here's the balance. Look at verse 6. It says, better is a handful of quiet than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Better is a handful of contentment. That's another way to translate this Hebrew word, contentment. It's good to have in one hand contentment, in the other hand you're working hard. You've you got your hand to the plow. Let me say it this way. Don't be like Ebenezer Scrooge. And don't be like the dude from Big Lebowski. Don't be either of those. Find a middle road between those. And I love this verse 6 is quintessential Solomon here. It's like I'm reading the book of Proverbs again. I love this. Better is a handful of quietness. You've got in one hand contentment. I'm happy in the Lord. I'm happy with what I have. And in the other hand, you're working hard. But if you've got two hands full of striving, you're just going to work yourself to death and you're striving after the wind. This, you know what this is right here, verse 6? This is why I love this, because I'm a Hebraophile. This is, this is Hebrew homespun wisdom right here. You got one hand full of contentment. You got one hand working hard. That's the balance. That's the balance. Warren Wiersbe said once, he said, it's good to have the things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. Everybody with me? It's good to have the things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. What, what can't money buy? Contentment. Family. Relationships with other people. You work hard, but you're not a workaholic. You enjoy life, but you're not a sluggard. You prioritize your life rightly. You prioritize your, right, your life rightly. You have God. You have family, you have work, you have church, and then you have recreation. That's how your life should be prioritized. Let me just say this. I've, I've been the pastor here at Harvest for over 13 years, okay? So give me just a little bit of latitude to, to analyze our congregation. Because I know y'all. I know y'all. And I'll just say, frankly, I don't think there are people in our church that struggle on the side of laziness. 
If you do, then be convicted and change that pattern in your life. But most of you, I know, your struggle is on the other side of that. You're, you struggle with maybe working too hard and being too obsessed about money. And sometimes it's not even money. It's position or it's fame or it's, it's recognition. Or, you know, and, and I'm right there with you, struggling with that. Success, success, success. And, and let me just warn you, especially those with young kids right now. I've said this before. When people get to 70, 80, 90 years old, when you go and talk with them, nobody ever says at that stage of life, I wish I spent more time at the office. Nobody says that. I wish I, wish I put in some more hours for the company. And I, making money is fun. It is. Building your own business. It's, it's the, the feeling of success that's really rewarding. But be careful now. That you don't waste your life chasing the wind and losing the opportunities that you can't get back when you're older. So Solomon says, keep your life in balance. And then he writes this down as number five. Here's another aspect of balance. Don't isolate yourself from other people. Super practical here. I love this. Don't isolate yourself from other people. Solomon says in chapter four, verse seven, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. He's just working, 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 working. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. What was Ebenezer Scrooge working so hard for? I mean, he didn't have any kids. He wasn't married. The people that were his family members, he didn't even like them. They were an inconvenience to him. Why was he working so hard? He didn't even realize that his working that hard was making him miserable. And he had to have the ghost of his former business par- partner, Jacob Marley, come and tell him that. Don't you love a Christmas carol? Isn't that good? Go read that or wait till Christmas, whatever. I mean, that is such a good book. What was he working so hard for? Look at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. This is the law of symbiosis. Two are better than one. That's true in business. That's true. That's true in church leadership. I don't want to be the elder of Harvest Decatur. That's terrifying to me. That's why we obey the Bible and have elders, a plurality of leadership leading our church. It's better that way. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. That's true on the elder board. Hopefully that's true in your small groups. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one else, not another to lift him up. How practical is that? There's an old Jewish proverb that goes like this. A friendless man is like a left hand bereft of the right. A, a friendless man is like a, is like a one-armed man, is basically what that means. And just so you know, there's, you know, whenever you go skiing, there's an unwritten rule for skiers. Don't ski alone. Whenever you go skiing, you know why? Because if you ski alone and you fall, you could literally die if you don't have somebody watching your back. If you go and climb rocks, if you go out climbing, take a friend with you. You remember that guy who went climbing somewhere in Utah and he didn't have anybody with him? He had to cut his arm off to get home. He could have saved his arm if he had somebody there with him. You know, Sonia and I, this is, I mean, there's 
practical sides to this, but this, I think this is metaphorical in a lot of ways too. Sonia and I use this verse for premarital counseling, talking about, you know, sometimes when Sonia's down, I'm up and I can lift her up. And sometimes when I'm down, she's there to lift me up. It's one of the benefits of marriage is that we help each other. And then when we're both down, we look to other people to help lift us up. That's rare that we're both down. But even that is evidence that we need other people to help us. Look at verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? That's not a reference to marriage. I guess it could be. But it's interesting to me that the body heat of another individual could actually keep you warm, could actually save your life in a life-threatening situation. It's like God designed it that way, that we need other people. Verse 12, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The idea here is if you get into a fight, if you get into a fight, it's good to have someone who has your back, right? You know, and soldiers talk about, watch my six, you know, my six o'clock, watch my back. It's good to have somebody watching your back when, when you're in a bad situation. And even more than that, we, a threefold strength, it's even better to have three than two. Plurality is even better than duality. So we can watch each other's six, so that we can watch each other's back. The church father, Basil of Caesarea, he said this about the dangers of solitude. You can read this on the screen. He said, a person living, okay, and this guy was a monk too, okay? He's a monk. He said, a person living in solitary retirement will not readily discern his own defects. Since he has no one to admonish and correct him with mildness and compassion, Holy Scripture says, for he that loves at times corrects. In other words, we need each other to point out our blind spots and to help correct one another. That was written by a monk 1,600 plus years ago. And even he knew that we needed other people, that living in isolation is a dangerous thing. Now, pastors, listen, pastors quote Ecclesiastes 4.12 at weddings. A threefold strand is not easily broken. I've done that. And because I think that principle is true. In other words, me, my spouse, and the Lord, that's, that's an unbreakable bond right there. But, I mean, I think by analogy, I don't know if Solomon was thinking that. Probably not, because he had 700 wives, so he, he would have had like a 701 cord strand is not easily broken. Unless he was mourning the fact that he went chasing too many women and one was best. But, but I would say, even what he's saying here is, is relevant for marriage. Me, my spouse, and the Lord, that's an unbreakable bond right there. Me alone, or me and her alone, or me and him alone, that's, that's not good. But even beyond marriage, let me just say, that, say this. We need each other. Don't we? We need each other. And if you're single today, I mentioned marriage, that's just as true for you as it is for married folk. You need other people. And by the way, if you are single this morning, you're in good company. Jesus was single all of his days. Paul was single. Ruth and Naomi were single after their husbands died. 
Isaac was single until he was age 40. You know, the church father, Augustine, was single all of his life. The, the missionary, Lottie Moon, that I mentioned earlier, she was single all of her life. And, and if you stop and think about it, I mean, all of us are single at some point in life. We're not born married. And, and typically we don't die together as married folks. So you're going to spend a, a part of your life single. And think about the life of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus was always around people. Jesus had a small group. Did you know that? And, and Jesus was around people so much that he actually had to get away from them every once in a while to get along with his father. Just shows you how much he loved people, how much he invested in people, how much he trusted even himself to people. And Paul was the same way. The Bible says this. This is kind of a theme verse for small groups, okay? So those of you in small groups, you can relate to this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates, don't isolate yourself. I feel, I want to say that as your pastor because I love you and I care. Don't isolate yourself. That's the, the fastest road to despair. Don't isolate yourself. You don't have to be alone. Remember when God created the world and you know, Genesis 1 and 2 it was good, 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 good. Everything was good, wasn't it? But then, just out of nowhere, it's like, that's not good. Not good? How could anything be not good? You know what was not good? Man being alone. That was not good. And so God created a companion. And if that was true for Adam in paradise, how much more is it true for you in paradise lost? Don't isolate yourself. And finally, here's the last piece of advice for you. So let's just review here. Don't expect judgment to be instantaneous. Don't forget that you are terminal. Don't be shocked when oppression is rampant. Don't obsess about money. Don't isolate yourself from other people. And sixthly, don't think too highly of power and position. Don't think too highly of power and position. Or let me say it this way. Don't get too big for your britches, all right? That's a good way to summarize the last few verses here. Solomon says, verse 13, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. There's irony in that statement because statistically speaking, the poor youth should be foolish and the old king should be wise. But see the irony? The situation's reversed here. Now we have a youth who is wise and the old king is a fool. How did he get foolish? How did that happen? Well, he tells you the old king stopped taking advice from people. He got prideful. He started smelling himself, you might say. Verse 14, for he, the youth, went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom, he had been born poor. Verse 15, I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. And there was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. In other words, the prince took over for the king. He died too. He was forgotten in history. The pauper and the prince both go to the same grave and they're forgotten in history. So don't think too highly of yourself. Don't get too big for your britches and don't think too highly of power and position because 
Time will catch up with you. And death will send you to the same place as your fellow man. That's a fact. Because art is long and time is fleeting. And our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating, funeral marches to the grave. Bum, 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 bum. Your clock is ticking. And life is short. And inevitably, death catches up with you. I don't even think Longfellow understands that if you read the whole of his poem. He, he seems a little confused about it, but he gets this right. Your heart beat is like a funeral march to the grave. I'll tell you, somebody who does understand this, and I'll close with this. Worship team, y'all can come up and prepare for the final song. I hope it's a happy song because we're all depressed. When I was a kid, I'll close with this. I was in Awanas, and I had this Awana leader who was, her name was Carol, Miss Carol. We called her Miss Carol. Love Miss Carol. And once a year in Awanas, she would give devotionals for the kids. And she did this one devotional that was absolutely terrifying. It scared my little brother spitless. He still talks about it. He probably got saved from this devotional. Because Miss Carol got up and she, she told this room full of kids, teenagers, all ages. She said, listen up, boys and girls. Your time on this earth is finite. And your clock is ticking. And then she stuck out her little finger like this. And she went, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. And we were all freaked out by it. And then she said, your time is ticking. You better get right with the Lord. You better come to Christ. You better put your faith in him so that you can live beyond your death here. You might say, that's so manipulative of those little kids. No, it's not. It's telling them the truth. You know what's manipulative of little children? Telling them they're not going to die someday. Telling them that there's no afterlife. Telling them that there's no hell. That's manipulative. Miss Carol told us the truth. She told us the truth. Tick tock, tick tock. So here I am. I'm, I'm a 43-year-old pastor of the church. I, I'm the beneficiary of wonderful, sweet people like Miss Carol who told me the truth. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Harvesticator, tick-tock, tick-tock. Your time is ticking away. DC Talk was right. Time is ticking, tick, tick, ticking away. Time is short. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Him. And there's no fear of death in that. You don't have to fear death. So you're going to live with him forever, even after your clock expires here on earth. Amen? You all with me? Am I saying anything you all don't know? Let's stand together. Let's sing.